Hey everyone, welcome back to Just One More Opinion. My name is Charlie and this is it. After 10 years and 18 movies, our heroes are not prepared for what is coming. Thanos is here. Get ready for Avengers Infinity War. Wow, guys. I don't even know how to start this episode, really. Um, <laughs> this might take a while. There's so much to talk about, so much happening, so many setups and revelations. The MCU was never the same after Infinity War. So, let me tell you how my experience was with this movie, okay? I was studying in London at the time, and this movie was about to be released, and this is an, ev an event, really. I... Like, this is not just another motion picture, guys, just to make the big bucks and be forgotten. Oh, no, I, I knew how big this was going to be, so I invited my university friends to come and join me in this journey. If you listen to my Age of Ultron episode, you know that after that movie, I started a sort of Marvel tradition with my high school friends and, and family, where we would go to the cinema and watch these blockbuster Marvel movies in groups of 10, sometimes more. Um, while Black Panther was the first MCU movie I didn't watch back home with my friends and family, this was the one that oh, hurt the most. Me, my brother, my closest friends in Portugal, we were all waiting for Infinity War ever since that post-credits teaser in the second Avengers movie. So. Yes, it did hurt, in a way, that I didn't watch this one with them, but thankfully I also didn't watch it alone. I had my closest mates from London, some flatmates and a couple of really good university friends that all loved the MCU. They they, they all joined me, and ooh, <laughs> without spoiling the story for now, um, I have to say, this this was the first time I left the movie theater completely speechless in shock trying to process what I had just watched and um, even though I had great amounts of sadness inside me I was also smiling <laughs> because I knew what was to come after this I knew Feige's plan so I wasn't that upset over the story even though yeah I have to admit it was the boldest cinematic move I'd ever seen Maybe I'm biased, because I love the franchise, but I really had no idea that they were going to do what they did, that they were even capable of doing it. It was insane. And I can still see myself walking out of the BFI IMAX in London with my mates. It was like 3 a.m. <laughs> I believe we had classes the, other, the next day, but I wasn't, I wasn't tired at all. I couldn't think straight. My mind would go blank, and then it would travel as fast as the Bifrost. Connecting the dots, or trying to at least, trying to predict the next move. What was done in Infinity War gave me hope that the um, MCU was a place to take risks, to be bold in making these wild decisions. I mean, some of the Disney Plus series are just about that. 
going where we haven't been before, exploring the unexplored, taking calculated risks. And this movie is insanely excellent, breathtaking, jaw-dropping spectacle was... It was... Oh, I, I don't even know how to finish the sentence, friends. I. It broke barriers, for sure. It wasn't like any other superhero movie that came before. Honestly, try to prove me wrong. <laughs> After it came out, it, I started recommending it, recommending the MCU to everyone I knew. <laughs> because it wasn't just about superheroes fighting supervillains. No, it was so much more emotion, story, depth, character, sacrifice, and... Infinity War gave us all that and so much so much more so much more um, so yeah, let's start talking about it because I Just know it's gonna take me a while to talk about all the important bits um, So yeah, as I usually do let's start with characters There were a couple only a couple of brand new introductions we have Proxima Midnight Corvus Glaive Cull Obsidian and Ebony Maw being the the henchmen of our main antagonist. All are capable warriors. Proxima and Corvus are a couple, I believe, and both have very, very powerful weapons at hand and good fighting techniques. Calobsidian is the brute force of the group. He also furnishes a sort of weapon or hammer, but lacks some brain where he gets the brawn. Um, and Ebony Maw is by far in my opinion, the most interesting of the four. His telekinetic abilities are very impressive, making him a formidable opponent, but it's his rhetoric that makes him more appealing than the others. His his initial his, his initial speech captivates the audience right away and kinda sets the tone for the movie, I would say. Uh, okay, just to finish off with these characters, so I don't need to come back to them later, let me skip forward and talk about their deaths. <laughs> While Proxima Midnight, Corvus Glaive, and Calobsidian are killed in a satisfying manner, um, I was kind of disappointed that Ebony Maw was killed off so soon and rather easily. Maybe that's because I enjoyed his interactions with our heroes, but yeah. Well, very well. <laughs> it's That happened, I guess. Um, yeah, he was a very cool character, but yet to go. The other new character we meet is played by Peter Dinklage, who some of you might know, as I do, from Game of Thrones. And he's, his character is called Eitri, a giant dwarf who builds very powerful weapons and devices at Nidavellir. I will come back to him in a bit because he plays a vital role later on but let me talk about oh, the main villain Thanos played by Josh Brolin we had seen Brolin's portrayal of the Mad Titan in Guardians of the Galaxy back in 2014 but here Thanos really gets to shine this is his movie Without a question, he's the one that has more character development than anyone else in the film, only maybe rivaled by Thor. And one can say, one can even say that because of this fact, he is the hero of the story, you know? 
Sometimes I argue with myself about this because ever since April 26th, 2018, that first viewing of Infinity War, I, oh, I fell in love with Thanos. I understood his motives, his pain, and even his goal to some extent. I think it's almost damaging to call Thanos a villain, comparable to the likes of Obadiah Stane all the way to Hela, the goddess of death. He is so much more than another bad guy. He has an agenda, and that agenda goes against the values and perspectives of our heroes, but that doesn't mean that his values don't exist, or that his perspective is evil. No! I think the Russo brothers did an amazing job at showing just how complex this character could be, as well as bringing together so many franchises and characters, of course, like, great job, Russo brothers. Um, but I also have to give a shout out to the writers, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, and to Kevin Feige as well for changing Thanos' backstory from the comics, adapt it to the movie, and give this mad titan some actual depth, some decent reasoning, some brilliant and purposeful objective. Okay, I think I should now just go right into this character, Thanos, his plan and his origin, everything that made him him uh, and that may cause me to move back and forth in the story but I feel it's the right way to go with Infinity War so yeah after I talk about Thanos in greater detail I'll go back and mention all the other character developments and action scenes and you know there is a lot more to talk about so let's do it I have to congratulate Josh Brolin I will never stop thanking him for his exceptional acting as Thanos because even in motion capture, even when he's this big, purple, alien overlord, he was still able to give a layered, beautiful, and painfully raw performance that I'm pretty sure surprised everyone. Like I said, Thanos in the comics is very different. His motives are much closer to what you'd describe as nefarious. Here, though, we are presented with an intention that, again, shocked me. At its core, Thanos' goal is to stop universal overpopulation. Now, take that and see it with a human lens. And I think there's something there that we can all recognize and even agree with. Right now, our planet has almost 8 billion people living on it. And while that number is always growing, a scientific report has shown that in the last 50 years, animal populations worldwide have declined nearly 70%. I'm not even mentioning how Mother Nature has been doing, because everyone should have an idea of the impact that humankind has been having on our only home. It's clear we're a plague, sorry, but in my opinion it's true. Um, we create more destruction, death and chaos than is needed. The level of entropy keeps getting higher and higher and it's our fault. We are the culprits. We are the villains! Whew. Okay, enough of my necessary 
outbursts. Now take this notion, yeah? Take this reality and transpose it to an entire universe. Thanos is cursed with this knowledge. He knows that by the way that it's going, the universe might be, might be doomed. He makes a valid point. The universe is finite, its resources finite. If life is left unchecked, life will cease to exist. It needs correction. How can you argue with that? Really? His plan to wipe out half the universe is even sympathetic to the, to the reality that there is no one group of people to blame. That's why this universal genocide would be random, dispassionate, unbiased. And let me say this, um, most of the time Thanos takes no pleasure in killing. In fact, he avoids it and only ends a life when absolutely necessary or when that life is on his way. I don't, I don't want to spoil some deaths just yet, but think about it. Think about when he enters Wakanda in the final act, how carefully he moves across the battlefield, incapacitating the Avengers in a non-lethal way, as at the time they posed no real threat to him. Again, I cannot stress this enough. Thanos only kills when that person is either too big a threat of him, of a threat to him, uh, or their demise is essential for the completion of his plan. I will come back to his to this later, I think. Um, but yeah, I just I wanted to mention it now since I'm talking about everything Thanos. So let's continue with him and move on to his relationship with Gamora because it's a big important part of his character. Until Infinity War, we only knew that Thanos was the adoptive father of Gamora, that he had destroyed her own planet and that she hated him. Now we were shown the actual assault on her, on her home and we see him meet a young Gamora, scared and looking for her mother. Thanos takes on Gamora after the attack um, and as time passed, he grew quite fond of her, even if she kept on loathing him. She was his favorite daughter, but Gamora wants nothing more than to see Thanos gone. Or so we think. When she later believes she has killed her father, she cries her eyes out. She feels deeply disturbed and I would say that that it's because even though Thanos, Thanos stole her, her away from her mother and her home for almost 20 years, he had been the only parental figure she had known during that time and really shaped her into the fierce warrior she is now. And deep down she knew he cared for her in his own way, but she didn't know he loved her. He'll prove that later in another scene, but I'll get into that when <clears throat> I talk about the story in more detail. But yes, like I said, Gamora hates Thanos. She blames him for her life, for taking her away from the safety of her home. But that's when Thanos intervenes and elucidates his decision. He reminds her that her world was on the brink of collapse, children scrapping for food, 
pollution all around, but since it decimated half the population, the new generations know nothing but full bellies and clear skies. It's a paradise. He sees that as mercy, but she sees it as murder. So, which one is it? Considering everything we've learned about the decaying state of the universe, can we really make a split-second decision about it? Can we really choose a side? I'd say that this is yet another great dilemma that Marvel presents us with. It makes us think. Okay, Thanos' plan and its execution might be flawed. Some fans have argued that he could have simply doubled the number of resources in the universe and not exterminate half its population. But let me say this. Hmm? Do you really think that any population, any person, given more stuff, more resources, more money, more food, is wise enough to distribute those in the most sensible way possible? I think our world's history is a great, great, great example of how that um, would not happen. So Thanos, in that regard, made the right call. But okay, one can also say, why random, yeah? What about the innocent people that are gone and all the bad ones who remain? Why didn't Thanos choose to terminate all the lives that pose a threat to the universe's perfect balance? And that's actually a valid point. But I don't think I should delve deeper into the what-ifs of Infinity War or even the little plot holes here and there or graphical inconsistencies that may or may not be in this movie because the story, the themes are so much bigger than that. Thanos's goal is to bring stability to the universe. And I have to say that that is quite a noble ambition. And when we're told and shown that he lost his own home planet of Titan to the unwavering chaotic hands of fate after he warned his people about it, you can't help but wonder. Is he actually right? Should he do this? And with that said, I think it's time to go back to the beginning and piece by piece, scene by scene, follow the story of Infinity War now that we know the purpose of the main antagonist. Nay, the main character. So, okay, let's do it. This is the second longest MCU movie to date, and there's a lot of moving from one place to another and back, so I'll try to touch upon every scene by order, or at least the most important bits. Uh, I, may, I may leave some aside um, and talk about their impact and significance to the rest of the movie. All right. Infinity War might have the best opening scene of any MCU film because it's the first time we are thrown into action right out of the bat and our heroes are losing. As it was teased in Thor Ragnarok's post credit scene, Thanos 
has come for the Tesseract, which Loki retrieved from Asgard's vault just before the kingdom went kingdom come. <laughs> um, Thanos has a new character designed. I forgot to mention it before. Uh, CGI is top-notch, and Thanos' face model is unbelievably detailed. I really love the design upgrade. Both Ebony Maw and Thanos' speeches are incredible. They, they build the dread we feel as we watch Thor beaten down, bruised and broken. Half of Asgard had just been wiped out by Thanos and his children because the Mad Titan was now in possession of the Power Stone, which had been safe on Xandar, home to the Nova Corpse, uh, but now he has it. It's a shame that we didn't get to see his assault on Xandar, but maybe, maybe there could be a flashback sequence where we do get to see that siege. Maybe in a Nova project, hopefully announced for Phase 5. Please, Feige, please, thank you. So now, Thanos is even more powerful than he already was. Loki, aboard the ship, tries to distract him by making a hilarious callback to the first Avengers movie when he proudly proclaims, We have a Hulk. <laughs> oh my god. But even the incredible Goliath, he isn't strong enough to beat Thanos. You see, the Hulk is all about brute force, and Thanos has the advantage of being a technical, skillful fighter, so he easily overpowers the Avenger. Then, a thrashed Heimdall uses his remaining strength, and he uses also the dark magic to summon the All-Fathers and send the Hulk through the Bifrost back to Earth. His courageous act is paid with blood, as Thanos stabs Heimdall right through the heart. And Loki is also unable to prevent Thanos from breaking the Tesseract and placing the Space Stone inside of it in his new Infinity Gauntlet, a device capable of harnessing the energy of the Infinity Stones. Nevertheless, the God of Mischief has one last trick up his sleeve. Or should I say a knife? But Thanos is too quick and too powerful now. He grabs Loki by the neck and snaps it. <sighs> I, I shed a tear every time I see this moment. Loki's sacrifice, um, the pain in Thor's eyes, this complicated brotherhood coming to an end. And the God of Thunder's story just became more tragic. Thanos and his children leave the Asgardian ship and go on a journey to get the remaining Infinity Stones. While Thor is left with his brother. And you know what? This movie can also be described as an intergalactic heist movie. Thanos going from one place to the other, collecting each stone. But at what price? You know? Because I very much 
I would very much rather uh, use the word sacrifice to describe what Infinity War is all about rather than heist. We've seen Heimdall's and Loki's sacrifices, but they're just the beginning, I'm afraid. There's a lot more to come, and it's all very meaningful and emotional, so let's move on. We visit Earth now and watch as the Hulk falls through New York's Sanctum Sanctorum, where Doctor Strange and Wong are stationed. Hulk turns back into Banner after losing a fight for the first time and informs the good doctor about the impending threat. And just so I can quickly wrap up Banner's arc in Infinity War, let me summarize what was going on with this two-for-one discount uh, pair. Um, Hulk was scared of Thanos' strength and he was tired of being Banner's puppet, so he kept on refusing to come out and play for the entirety of this film. This impotence issue will only be addressed in Avengers Endgame, but I think it was a nice little development attached to Ruffalo's character. What I didn't like is how they completely dismissed Bruce and Natasha's relationship and made their reunion later on seem kind of meaningless and unimportant. But anyway, moving on. Doctor Strange and Bruce Banner recruit Tony Stark. Wong gives a presentation on the Infinity Stones and Banner warns Tony of Thanos, the guy that sent Loki to New York six years ago. This is it, Tony whispers remembering his awful vision in Age of Ultron given to him by Wanda at the start of the film. This whole scene is it's quite funny and substantial in terms of the story as it taps into the, the consequences of Civil War, how the Avengers broke up, which affects this movie big time. Doctor Strange and Tony Stark's banter is also amusing to watch, but all the bickering stops quickly as New York is facing another alien attack when Maw and Colobsidian come for the Time Stone. In order to stop them, Tony dons his new nano Iron Man suit, which looks freaking awesome, and a nearby Peter Parker suits up as well to help his mentor. As our heroes try to defend the city, Doctor Strange is overpowered and trapped by Ebony Maw, who takes him to his donut-shaped uh, spaceship. Iron Man and Spider-Man follow him, and the latter receives his Iron Spider suit, courtesy of Mr. Stark, to help Parker out there in space. Meanwhile, back in space, <laughs> the Guardians respond to the Asgardian distress signal, but they are too late to stop the attack. But fast enough to save a floating Thor. Finally, this team meet, meets a, a character from the other team that may or may not feature Kevin Bacon, and the interaction between Quill and Thor is hilarious. Drax is also funnier with his newly found invisibility powers, but it's, it's, the, it's the tease 
that the missing soul stone, the only infinity stone that we hadn't seen yet, might be known to Yamora. Wow, I didn't see that coming. Anyway, the heroes decide to split up. Gamora, Star-Lord, Drax, and Mantis will go to nowhere where, um, where Thanos is going to be to get the Reality Stone from the Collector, while Thor, Rocket, and a teenage Groot will travel to Nidavellir where Eitri the Dwarf can create a weapon capable of killing Thanos. This scene ends, another one begins, and we see Wanda and Vision together, finally a couple, enjoying some time alone in Scotland. But their relaxed states turn tense very swiftly as Proxima Midnight and Corvus Glaive show up to get the Mind Stone from Vision's forehead. Corvus stabs Vision, damaging him to a point where he is unable to perform to the highest standard. I think this was a, a cheeky but clever way to make one of the strongest Avengers feel more feel kind of useless in battle, thus kind of evening the odds for the bad guys. We do get an awesome fight scene between both parties and when Wanda and Vision seem to be on the edge of losing this one, who shows up? Steve Rogers, bearded up, shielded down, sporting an awesome new look, resembling his nomad days in the comics, and even though this was such a badass entrance, it was only the second best in the movie, if you can believe it. Joining Captain America is Black Widow and Falcon, and the harmonized Secret Avengers team are able to debilitate Proxima and Corvus who flee the scene when outnumbered. Okay, we finish the scene and go back to see what the Guardians are doing. Before arriving at nowhere, Gamora asks Quill to kill her in the event that Thanos gets her, because she has information that he needs to succeed. Reluctantly, Peter agrees, swearing on his mother. And when they land on the collector's treasure, treasury, they, they see Thanos questioning the collector and about the location of the ether. This is when Gamora intervened and stabs her father in the neck, believing to have killed him so easily. But reality is often disappointing, as Thanos says, as he changes it to his desire by use of the stone already in his possession. This was the moment. Quill's promise to Gamora. But even though Peter musters all the strength he can to commit that terrible deed, Thanos is one step forward and escapes with his adopted daughter. So, what now? Hmm? What now? Well, <laughs> let's go back to Earth, where Bruce and Rhodey have been joined by Cap and the rest of the team. They discuss their options, but Vision knows what must be done. The Mind Stone must be destroyed, and him with it. And only Wanda has the power to do it. But she 
obviously refuses. It is too great a sacrifice, and maybe there is a way to detach the stone without killing the vision. But the technology needed to do that is only in Wakanda. But not so fast, we are not going there just now. We need to check on Tony, Peter and Strange, who has been tortured by Ebony Maw. Thankfully, Spidey and Iron Man make a great team and they are able to defuse the situation and save the Doctor. The three of them now discuss their options, which are not good, but agree to continue with the ship's, the ship's uh, course to Titan, because at least on Thanos' planet there would be no collateral damage. But still, Doctor Strange says that he has vowed to protect the Time Stone with his life. So if Peter or Tony's life is in danger, the priority would still be the stone. That may feel cold coming from, from Strange, but hey, the entire universe is at stake, guys. You know, also, Tony performs a little induction um, and Peter Parker becomes an Avenger, finally, which was so cute, but also eye-opener for the web-slinger who realizes the responsibility, wink, wink, that he now has. We then visit Thanos' ship, where he has a conversation with Gamora about his plan and tells her he knows. He knows she found a, the Soul Stone's location and kept, him, kept it from him for years. The only way he could get it from her was to show her Nebula, her adoptive sister being brutally tortured by the Mad Titan and... Oof, this was another example of how Thanos disregards Nebula and puts Gamora on a pedestal, hurts one but doesn't lay a finger on the other. Poor Nebula, her pain is so visceral that Gamora yields and tells him that the stone is on Vormir. Um, plot twist? No one, no one saw this coming and there were so many theories about where the soul stone could be or what it could be and none of them got it right well played marvel well played we then catch up with rocket groot and thor on their way to nita valir there was just this funny line about how uh, groot's uh, language was an elective on asgard so thor understood him <laughs> just so funny and clever but then, no more jokes. Thor opens up to Rocket about all he has endured. Hemsworth gives a, a very profound, agonizing performance in this scene that makes me tear up every time. What more could I lose? He says, wow. Wow, just brutal stuff. And even Rocket's comedic reply like, me personally, I could lose a lot. But then, he actually does. In the end, wow. So sad, so heartbreaking. The trio reaches Nidavalir to find it deserted, with only Heatry around, who explains that he has, yeah, he had been forced 
by Thanos to build his Infinity Gauntlet. And that all the other dwarfs died after that. But he shouldn't be hopeless, as Thor says, because he can forge a weapon that could kill Thanos, a weapon that could even summon the Bifrost, a weapon worthy of a king. Stormbreaker! But to do so, Thor would need to awaken the heart of a dying star. Tough task, but nothing the God of Thunder can't handle. As for Spider-Man, Iron Man and Doctor Strange, they have reached Titan and they are confronted by the remaining Guardians with whom they have a harmless little brawl and after they all realize they're on the same side, they try to devise a plan to stop Thanos when he gets there. While the rest do that, Doctor Strange goes forward in time to view alternate futures. He sees 14,605,000 and they only win in one. Oh my freaking god! If the stakes were high enough already, now they were completely insane! The pressure everyone should feel about those odds, even us watching the movie! Wild! Just, just wild. And then we go to Vormir, a place we had never seen before, and Thanos and Gamora are met by a peculiar entity. A surprising comeback, it's the Red Skull, last seen in Captain America The First Avengers, seven years prior to this movie. Wow! Wow! The Tesseract had banished Schmidt to Vormir and he became the guardian of the Soul Stone. To get it, one must make the ultimate sacrifice, a soul for a soul. While Gamora laughs and believes Thanos has lost, for he could not love anybody and make such a sacrifice. Thanos does face a dilemma and his emotion is very clear as he weeps. I'm sorry little one, he cries and we cry with him as we see a father kill his daughter just so he could fulfill his goal and it's heartbreaking. What a devastating moment, a loss I wasn't really expecting and it developed even more the character of Thanos by taking from him the only person he ever loved. Oof. Let's move on though. <laughs> we are finally in Wakanda and King T'Challa, the Black Panther, has assembled his allies and reunites Steve with Bucky, now with an upgraded vibranium left arm. They are, all, they are all in position for the incoming attack. The attempt at getting Vision's stone, which is being taken care of by the genius Shuri. And our heroes face the children of Thanos, Proxima Midnight and Cull Obsidian. 
and their army, the Outriders, vicious creatures, kind of like these alien war dogs that are quite expendable but quite dangerous as well. The Chala screams, Wakanda forever! And the war begins! Seeing Black Panther and Captain America run side by side with incredible speed is one of the highlights of the movie. So freaking awesome, I love it. And our heroes are handling quite well the threat at hand, but this time they are the ones who are outnumbered. And their only hope is across the universe. In Nidavellir, where Thor and Hitri as have assembled Stormbreaker, with Groot's arm working as the axe's handle, which is <laughs> so cool. And just like that, Thor summons the Bifrost, arrives at Wakanda and sends Stormbreaker flying through the battlefield, evening the odds. And oh my Odin, if this is not the most epic entrance of any movie I've ever seen, honestly, guys, I get goosebumps every time I watch this scene. It's just so good. It's just so good. Bring me Thanos. Ah! I'm sorry, but oh my god, it's fantastic. Fan freaking fantastic. I love this scene. It gets me excited every time. Whew. Meanwhile, Thanos arrives at Titan at last and faces the Avengers. This fight has some of the best team-up moves of any MCU film, and we get a showcase of the um, powers of each Infinity Stone, which is great. Nebula, who had escaped captivity, also joins the fight, and together the team is able to subdue Thanos so they can remove the gauntlet from his hand and prevent the end. But upon realizing that Gamora is dead, Quill is flooded by emotion and recklessly interferes, thus allowing Thanos to escape the hold. Now, to all those people calling Star-Lord an idiot and putting the blame on him for everything that was to come, I don't think you have tried to put yourself in his shoes, because it was only human, his reaction, I would say, you know? But anyway, Thanos is so pissed off that he throws a moon at Stark. Damn, the strength. Oh my god. Uh, anyway, back in Wakanda, Wanda has joined the fight, leaving Vision unprotected from Corvus's glaive attack. And Jesus Christ, Wanda is so powerful. I I'd even say she is the most powerful character in the MCU. That's just my opinion. Um, thankfully, Cap and Vision are able to take out Corvus' glaive, but... Back on Titan, things aren't going well. Thanos overpowers Doctor Strange, even with all the spells he could conjure, and Iron Man is the last man standing. He uses every nanobot he has to build weapons to debilitate the Mad Titan, but Thanos is just too strong. 
and stabs Stark through the chest. I hope they remember you, he says, as he's about to deliver a final blow, but then wait! Strange asks Thanos to spare Tony's life in exchange for the Time Stone. And so, there's only one more to go. Thanos uses the Space Stone to leave, and Stark wonders why Strange gave it away. To which he replies, We're in the end game now. And come on! <laughs> How could that not have been the title for the fourth Avengers movie? Jesus Christ. Okay. And finally, this is it. Thanos arrives at Wakanda. His only goal to get the Mind Stone from Vision. And so, the android asks Wanda to do the unthinkable and prevent the inconceivable and painfully Wanda complies in another very emotional scene Wanda's story just gets so much more tragic and we lose vision but unfortunately we're about to lose him a second time as Thanos uses the Time Stone to turn back time and forcefully take the Mind Stone out from Vision's head. And so, the gauntlet is complete. Thanos is ready. But wait! Thor comes swinging with his new weapon, throwing it with incredible accuracy towards the mad titan's chest. The mighty Avenger pushes Stormbreaker in and in and Thanos is suffering. He can't even speak, only whisper. You should have gone for the head. And We are quickly transported to the Soul World, where Thanos encounters a young Gamora, who asks him what did it cost, to which she sorely replies with, everything. Back in Wakanda, Thanos has used the Space Stone to escape, and then we see, we see it. Bucky, Sam, T'Challa, Groot, Wanda, and many Wakandan warriors just dust away. On Titan, the same happens to Mantis, Drax, and Quill. Doctor Strange tells Tony there was no other way before he too disappears from existence. And the last one to go is poor Peter. Tom Holland's acting was so gut-wrenching and the Mr. Stark I don't feel so good line was enough to make anyone cry. Tony couldn't protect Peter, nor stop the villain. Thanos had won. And now he smiles as he watches the sun rise on a grateful universe. A post credit scene teases the arrival of Captain Marvel, 
as Nick Fury calls her with a pager just before fading away too. But what is there to do? How can the Avengers repair what happened? Well, we'll have to wait until Tuesday for what for what is going to happen when I revisit Avengers Endgame. Guys, oh my god, what a roller coaster of emotions Infinity War was. The hardest choices do require the strongest wills and I have great willpower as I was able to push through with this episode that took me all day to revisit and examine but it was so worth it guys honestly the story of sacrifice is key in this movie and the whole tone for it is set by the opening scene and the ongoing beautiful soundtrack the Russo brothers made a masterpiece of a movie which is why it earns it it earns a easy an easy 10 out of 10 as an MCU film and a high 9 outside the franchise i <laughs> i have rewatched this movie so many times and i still cry i still get goosebumps and i still feel completely defeated by the end Infinity War is um, a remarkable movie, an actual physical and mental experience that I don't think anyone who has seen it can forget it. We have reached the end of this episode, guys. It was a long one. I know, I'm sorry. There's a chance that the Endgame episode might be even longer as it has 30 more minutes of content but I think these movies deserve it I had so much fun re-watching Infinity War and we are almost done with this marathon series of mine I really hope you are enjoying it I know I am I will talk to you tomorrow for a light-hearted trip to Ant-Man and the Wasp I will see you there, goodbye!